Right. How's everyone doing? Doing good? Everybody full yet? I think there's still more food out there. So if I, if I see you get up during the message, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm just going to assume that there are sticky buns out there that need to be assessed and handled. So anyway, I'm, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors. Um, I'm here today to, to wrap up our Radical Jesus series. And uh, yeah, it, it's been a, been a really, really great and interesting time to talk through these different issues and, and really wrestle with them with our teaching team and, and hear feedback, hear your all, all's thoughts on it. Um, we here at, at Tallgrass at the Well, we exist to create community together by inviting everyone into the way of Jesus. And so this series has been a part of that process, uh, trying to invite people into the way of Jesus in our current cultural moment, the issues, the real practical issues that we're all facing when we leave these doors, when we pick up our phones and scroll social media. Um, we, uh, as we start every series uh, uh, or message of this series, we've been reciting a particular scripture every week. That's Isaiah 40, verse 8. And we've done that, first of all, to, to get our grounding. Uh, we knew that, that this series would be something, it would be kind of a curveball for a lot of us. Like, we're talking about these issues, and, and they're kind of t- intense, and they bring tension into our lives. And we just wanted to stand on God's word first and foremost, that knowing that there may be some disagreement, some, some tension of perspective, but if we, at the end of the day, can come back to standing on the word of God and pointing to Jesus um, that's, that's how we wanted to start and end every week. So let's say that together. Let's say Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We just believe that to be true, and that's what we believe uh, to be uh, uh, needed to stand on. So the idea for the message series uh, came up in a conversation that Ben and I were having as we were talking about merger, and we were talking about you know, is this a crazy idea? Is this really what God wants? And uh, we were talking and we were like, you know, we should do something just really crazy while we're just talking crazy talk. Let's do a series about the most controversial issues we could think of. We kind of looked at each other like, I, really? Like, should we do that? We, we either knew, we knew that this would help stake out the ground that Tallgrass at the Will wanted to, wanted to maintain where our culture pushes us to the extremes. And even some churches push us to the extreme, extreme right, extreme left, or they don't take a stand at all. And they're, they're kind of like here to make, like, make people happy and not, not raise the heat at all. We knew we wanted to be a different kind of church. And we thought, oh, this is either going to bring a lot of clarity to what we're about and what we believe God's heart is in this moment that we live in, or it's going to blow everything apart. I think either way, it's going to be amazing. Let's do it. So we brought it to our teaching team, and they kind of blinked at us. We talked talk to the elders. They kind of blinked at us. And then we're, we all just felt God's heart, like, I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're supposed to occupy this ground of, of really being nuanced and thoughtful and clear about what the Bible is clear on and open-handed about what the Bible doesn't speak directly to, but we could bring, bring wisdom to bear on these situations and ask God for his empowerment to walk that out in the day-to-day. So here we are. We just wondered, what if we could be the kind of church that says hard things about hard things? I think we've done that. 
some of us probably wanted us to be a little bit more clear and, and say a little bit harder things on some issues. Some of us probably wanted us, would have liked the teaching team to back off a little bit and not, and not be as um, uh, firm. And that's okay. That's part of the process is knowing that we're here to grow, we're here to learn, and we're here to challenge and encourage each other. But what if the purpose of our church wasn't just to be nice and politely never talk about controversy? What if God had a bigger purpose for us than maintaining the status quo, building an echo chamber where we all nodded at the exact same things? What if God had more for us? And so that's what we're trying to carve out and lean into here. So here we are. We, we think the hard work that our team has done of research, deliberation, and, and the presentation, the preaching of the gospel from week to week has been worth it. And it's been enriching. enriching. There's been many conversations we've had. We, we changed really our approach to thinking about teaching. Instead of we apportioning up different weeks and a, a pastor or teacher will, will take the different week, we actually brought these conversations into our staff meetings to say, hey, let's figure out, are we landing on the same page here? Or at least in the same vicinity. Let's really like push back. If you disagree with me, explain, like where are your sources? Where are you getting your information? We, we wanna know and we're challenging each other. And so even amongst our, our pastoral team, we're not wanting to build an echo chamber where we all agree or disagree about the same things. There is, there's, there's deliberation that takes place. And we've, seen, we've received lots of emails, positive, encouraging email. That sounds like Caleb, right? Like we've, we've, we've received Caleb and emails. And we've received pushback. We've received like deep probing questions. We, we've received Marco Polo videos, people pleading with us to, to, to think differently about some things or at least be more nuanced or less nuanced or whatever it might be. But we've had so many enriching coffee and meal conversations, sometimes head nodding, sometimes head shaking. But we think our church is better off because we're willing to take courage and step into the fray of what we're all dealing with in the day-to-day and to actually bring it into Sunday morning and, and do something more than just build this echo chamber that, that, that feels safe and comfortable. Because this idea that we should be comfortable and all agree with, about the same things and all disagree about the same things, I'm not even sure really where we got that idea that church should be a place where you're comfortable. That sounds more, if I'm being honest, like the middle American dream of the pursuit of happiness it sounds more like a guarantee from our culture that says everything that you're about, everything in your life should bring comfort and happiness to you. It sounds more like, you know, a fast food joint telling me that I can have it my way than it does the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's what Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said... Whoever wants to be my disciple, my apprentice, my follower, a learner from Jesus, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? What good is it, church, for us to gain all the happiness and all the comfort that we desire and yet forfeit our soul? This promise of comfort is, is not scriptural, it's not kingdom. Uh, we, yes, should find a place that is healthy and healing, a, a safe place to follow Jesus, 
where we're nursed back to health, that we're not shamed for our brokenness. Yes, we should be able to find a place of safety, but it's a place of safety also where we get to ask hard questions, the questions that no one else is asking, maybe the prophetic questions of our generation about God's heart for the poor and and for injustice and for oppression. Who's asking those hard questions? We should have a place where we get to ask doubting questions sometimes, and yes, maybe even deconstructive questions, to be loved no matter what our background, what we did yesterday or what we're thinking now, what our trust structures are having us lean into. We should have a place that's safe, but maybe not comfortable. Because I'll tell you what, when you get a bunch bunch of broken people who are living from their true self, that's a messy place. When you get a bunch of people who, and we'll get into the scripture here in a a bit that talks to this, but a place where the, the broken and the lowly and the poor are invited. That's not a comfortable place, but it should be a safe place. It should be a safe place where Aslan is on the move and he's always up to good. That's the place that we envision, where people are taking up their cross. A cross is more than something you wear around the neck or something you see on the top of a church building. It's an instrument of death. It's an instrument of sacrifice, and Jesus is basically telling his followers, and, and those who aren't quite yet his followers, if you want to follow me, you have to lay down all your expectations for your happy life in order that you could truly get abundant life that I'm offering, and that's his point. So it reminds me of a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived during the, first, uh, the Second World War. He had this promising academic career. He actually studied at some of the, the most prestigious universities, seminaries in Germany, and then came over to the United States to learn from American seminaries. But his heart broke for the German people because the church at that time in Germany was really uh, partnering with, with Hitler and the Third Reich. And he saw compromise, and he just wondered, how can I be over here in America and get all this accolade? When people are suffering, my people are suffering in Germany, so he moved back. But instead of taking a prestigious pastorate that was partnered with the state, he actually started something called Finkenwald, which was this underground seminary training the next generations of pastors and leaders, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't near a city, it was, it was out nowhere, and they lived in this tight-knit community. They, they, uh, they withdrew and gave up comfort, and they gave up their... their temporary happiness of, of, of what society thought that they needed. So they actually dig into community and dig into the gospel and withstand the compromise of the church and withstand the compromise of the state that was oppressing people, specifically the Jews. And so he had family and he had friends that were really concerned. Like, like Dietrich, what are you doing? You could make lots of money and have a big, happy family and have a prestigious place in seminary or pastorate if you just came and you just kissed the ring a little bit. If you just kind of bowed, we know you don't mean it, but if you could just play the game. And so he took, I think it was like his brother-in-law or someone came out to Finkenwald and they hopped in a boat and went out across the pond to the other side and they climbed a hill. And as they crested the hill on this other side of the hill, on the other side of the pond, was a Hitler youth camp. And all these, these teenage and younger boys were training to be in Hitler's army. They were, they were training to, to, to pledge themselves to the state and whatever future that might hold. We know what future that held for them. 
And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, this, pointing to Finkenwald, has got to be stronger than that. This, the community of Jesus that foregoes comfort and what the world says is success, has got to be stronger than what our world and our culture says is power and success and happiness. If we ever have a chance, church, I'm telling you, the same is true today. What we're doing here has to be stronger. It has to be more rigorous. We have to have these kinds of conversations that we've been having, and they have to be drenched in the presence of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ if we have any chance of withstanding what the world is telling us what true happiness is. So what they were walking out at Finkenwald is what Paul described in the 12th chapter of Romans. I just wanna go through this briefly. This is gonna be so fast. It's gonna be like you're skipping rocks across the top of a lake, right? Because I just wanna read it, but sometimes you have to just read scripture, like large chunks of scripture, just like they would have heard it read to them in the early church to get the heart behind it and to really cap, like to be really captured by its big vision, okay? Sometimes it's good to drill down very, very deep, get all that the scripture has, or, you know, it's actually always the beginning of the beginning anyway for us, like little, little minded, like we're just so far from get capturing everything. But sometimes it's just so good to scratch the surface and, and cover a large uh, breadth of the scripture. Here's what Paul says, talking about this kind of gospel-centered, spirit-drenched community, says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, off your bodies as a living sacrifice. Take up your cross, is what he's saying, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, exactly what we're talking about here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What he's saying is, being able to have a grasp on reality as we look at our, our, our culture and we wonder from God's perspective what is good and true and beautiful. It always starts with a heart of sacrifice. Laying ourselves down, laying our agendas, uh, agendas aside so that we can press into God and say, God, whatever your will is, that's what I want. Whatever your perspective on politics is, that's what I want. What your perspective is on oppression and misogyny and injustice and the poor, that's what I want. Vaccinations or young earth versus old earth or whatever it is that we've, we've covered or haven't covered. God, we want God's perspective, not my own. I've seen what I can do on my own. It's not very good, it's not very pretty. I want God's agenda for our lives, for our church, for, for my family. So he continues, he says this in verse three, for the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just, for as, uh, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Man, that is radically offensive to our culture today to say that we belong to each other. You belong to Jesus, then we belong to each other. And in in, in the individualistic, consumeristic, materialistic, and all the other istics of our culture to say that we belong to each other is so offensive. Like, I, I kind of feel it welling up, like, I don't want to be told what to do. But that's the right that we bestow on the church when we join to Christ's body, is that I'm no longer on my own. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Can you imagine what would happen? Let's just say if if there was an accident on the side of the road and like half a dozen of our families pull up to help. That's, that's like a Christ thing to do, right? And we get out and we all have some level of training, some leveling, uh, level of ability to help, but we all have different gifts to help. Imagine that, what would that be like? We, we take all of our gifts, put them out in the middle, and we all go, mine's the most important right now. And that could be true, but that most likely isn't true all the time. That's what he's saying. Like there, there's a priority in different situations where different gifts shine out first. And we all have different gifts and therefore we all have different perspectives on how to use the gifts and the different priorities in which the gifts need to be used. Now that sounds like a mess, especially in life and death situations. There better be a doctor in the house to tell us exactly what to do, like a trained professional. But that's the beauty of the church is that none of us are the same. We're not talking about uniformity in the church. We're talking about diversity of gifts and perspectives and talents and priorities given different situations. Because all of us are better than one of us, right? But this gets messy when we're all advocating for my ministry or my gift or my thing to happen first. What Paul is saying is, you know, that's not how you use the gifts. He'll get into it. He'll say in verse nine, he says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. These gifts only work if we're devoted to one another in love. If we're not here to advocate for ourselves first, but actually look through these different perspectives and discern with the power of God's spirit, how best do we address the problems that we're called to face? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. Don't you get the idea that the early church was just a mess, by the way? Like most of Paul's letters are written to problem situations. We realize that, don't, don't we? Like there's, there's a few letters where Paul's like, hey, everything's great. Keep pressing into Jesus. The Holy Spirit is gonna come again in power. Like, yes, I want that. But most of it is like, are you guys crazy? Will you cut that out? Like, I'll leave you for three weeks and this is what happens? Are you serious? That's most of what his letters are like. And so we get that here is like, these aren't necessarily these burdensome lists of commands. It's what it's like to live in the power of community, of the spirit in community. Okay, are you guys following me? Okay, are you with me? Like, this is written to us, for us. You understand that? Like, this is, we're a mess. By ourselves, absolutely together, we just kind of heighten that. But the power of the spirit is available so that we could be a positive force for good for God's kingdom in this world. And pressing in so that we honor each other and love each other and are devoted, never giving up on each other is what's required. 
okay? And he finishes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Okay, I feel like that just needs to be, you know, we need to memorize that one next. Like, we live in a do what's right in my eyes culture, and Paul says, be careful. Like, like just slow up a second. Do what's right in the eyes of everyone. That, that means, like, behavior to some degree is crowdsourced. If you're, if you're walking in the power of the Spirit together, okay? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So to follow in the way of Jesus means addressing evil just as he did. That when we're confronted, our weapons are love and sacrifice, not power, oppression, vengeance, and violence. And I think you could apply this. You could apply this to not having the last word. Don't have vengeance. Don't have the last word. Don't always be right. Don't win the argument. Win the heart. Win with love. Win with sacrifice. Yes, it takes longer. No, you won't be able to show off your degree and all the training you have, but love, love wins. That's the point. So what is the path forward for us? How do we live into this kind of community in the here and now? What do we do from here after this series? We don't want this to be a nice series that we all just kind of go home and go, huh, that was really interesting. Here comes Advent, thank God, and thank God for Advent, but what can we do today? And so we're living, we have to recognize we're living in a, what's called a liminal space or, or a place of, of transition where the old has not fully gone away and the, and the new has not fully come. Some of us call that the new normal. The problem is we don't know what normal is quite yet, right? In the post-everything culture we're living right now, what does it mean? So here, here's what I would say. I believe, I believe God is inviting us into radical discipleship. And the radical disciple of tomorrow will be equipped to step into controversy and tense situations and bring the hope and shalom of God to bear. Amen. And I think there are three, and I, there's way more than three, but I, I have limited time. I'm like done right now, but I'm not, so to keep going. I think there are three necessary postures of a church full of radical disciples. First, we have to have a radical perception, perspective of the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming soon to set up his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And living in light of that reality puts a whole lot in perspective. Uh, there's a saying that I'm trying to teach my sons. You don't have to show up for every argument that you're invited to. That's just good, right? It's just good. And I'm trying, I'm trying like we have, we have very, boys with very big personalities. I'm not sure where they got any of that. But I'm trying to help show them you do not, especially in social media age, have to show up to every argument that someone wants to pick with you. I think that's good for us. Um, we would do well to remember that and knowing what fights to fight, what causes to support, and what seasons we're in to fulfill those will help withstand burnout and frustration and it will keep us locked into God's mission for the long term. So one, one potential elephant in the room for this series in particular, as we're just trying to discern and follow Jesus for the long term, one topic we did not bring up was relationships and sexuality. 
And we were very aware of that. The reason we didn't do that is because you try giving one week to that, I double dog dare you, okay? So our heart is, um, and we've done this at the well for years and years, is we actually give six to eight weeks to relationships and sexuality. We would actually like to do that in the very near future, is to come back, and I don't know if it'll be a Radical Jesus Part 2 or you know, 1.5 or whatever it is, but actually st- spend some extended time on what's God's position and heart for human relationships, okay? The second way to lean into this and, and have this posture is through radical maturity. As we pursue growth and transformation as apprentices of Jesus, we must recognize that God's spirit has been given to us not to just release, release his gifts in and through our church, but actually his empowering presence is to bring us into maturity, to form us into the image and likeness of Jesus so that we love like Jesus, we're patient like Jesus, we're kind like Jesus, and so on. Every occasion then in our lives becomes, excuse me, an opportunity for us to be more like Jesus in in every one of those ways. What it also means is that it's in our best interest to be in situations where there are people around us who are unlike us. So the conversations that we get in where the people really kind of like irritate us, those are opportunities for us not to go, that person's a mess and they're just plain wrong, but actually be self-aware and do some inventory about why, does, why do situations like this trigger me? Why do people like this who disagree with me on this issue, why do I feel this way when I'm around them? And why, how can I heal from that? And how can I move on and be more like Jesus? You see, we live in a reactive culture that's always blaming everyone else for our internal junk. And the way of Jesus is to go, the Holy Spirit's been poured out for my transformation so that people don't trigger me and that I'm transformed to transcend those tough conversations and actually bring peace into it. Maybe not resolution in the way of Jesus, but I can bring peace and I can bring love and I can bring sacrifice. You'll never be able to do that unless you get over your reactivity and push through that. It's not their fault you're proud and reactive. And I'm mostly just preaching to me. So if that lands, that's for you. When I'm like that, it's my old self hanging on, waiting to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? The third posture, radical hospitality, which is the simple and practical, practical posture of welcoming people unlike yourself into your space. So it's not, not necessarily like the, the, the spread of all the, all the food and you know, all the Martha Stewart-ish type things, although I'm fine if you are doing that, I'll show up if you want me to. Or I could be like Jesus and bite myself. That's totally on the table, right? So it, it often, radical hospitality more often shows up in the in-between times in our day where we think to check on our neighbor to see if their dog has come back home. Or if the college students around us have a place to spend Thanksgiving. Or it's putting our phone away to make eye contact with the cashier in a long line and ask them, how's your day going? That is hospitality, just as much as anything else you can think of. What makes this radical is adopting it as a lifestyle where we're present for God and with others. So to carry this idea further, and I'm going to end with this, and then transition over to Ben here. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who is a pastor and an author, she has a regular opinion column in the New York Times, which is just phenomenal, if you can catch that. She wrote an article called, How Americans Can Learn to Live Together Again. She writes this. To learn how to love our neighbors, we need cultural habits that allow us to share in our common humanity. We need quiet daily practices that rebuild social trust. 
and we need seemingly pointless conversation with those around us. The great urban activist Jane Jacobs wrote about the social function of casual conversations and interactions. Greeting your grocer, passing a pleasantry with a neighbor, playing peekaboo with a toddler at the crosswalk. We are more than the sum of our political and religious beliefs. We each have complex relationships with the people we love. We each have bodies that get sick, that enjoy good tacos or the turning of fall, amen? Both of those. We like certain movies or music. We laugh at how babies sound when they sneeze. We hurt when we skin a knee. The way we form humanizing, non-threatening interactions around these things tap into something real about us. We are three-dimensional people who are textured, interesting, ordinary, and lovely. Of course, to heal the deep divisions in our society, we need profound political and systemic change. But though we need more than just small talk, we certainly do not need less than that. As a culture, our conversations can run so quickly to what divides us, and this is all the more true online. We cannot build a culture of peace and justice if we can't talk with our neighbors. It's in these many small conversations where we begin to recognize the familiar humanity in one another. These are the baby steps of learning to live together across the differences. And so it's for this reason that we do things like this, where we do picnics over the summer, we do brunches on Sunday or after or whatever, or we, we grab each other for coffee conversations. It's actually to practice our humanity together. Now, you need to know something about me. I'm an introvert. This, I don't naturally gravitate towards. I gravitate towards the wall and singular deep conversations. I let all the extroverts come out and play, right? But I need this just as much as anybody else does. And I think our culture really needs this. We have some cultural introversion that likes to stay and fight only online. We actually need to reclaim in-person, hospitable, small talk conversations for the health of us and for the greater society at large. I want you to never underestimate how, how simple acts of kindness, just like these, just like a, hey, how's your day? How are you doing? How's your week been? Just like these can, can uh, be used by God to bring about a better future for all of us. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Ben for, from, for some final thoughts. I'll actually have the band. We'll make, you can make your way up here as well. So uh, a phrase uh, that, that has stuck out to me was actually uh, from some feedback someone gave Josh after the, his talk on vaccinations, where uh, one person wanted him to push harder. You know, hey, everyone should go get vaccinated. And they, he came up and said, I think I was appropriately disappointed. And then someone else came up and said, hey, thanks for not pushing so hard, you know. So I've been thinking a lot about that phrase, appropriately disappointed. And we've, we've been talking about how a lot of the interactions people have with Jesus left them disappointed because he didn't just play their game, but appropriately disappointed. So... I joked with Dave, uh, we got this, we, we get sometimes some swag from Sticker Mule, and I said, hey, we should make appropriately disappointed t-shirts. So he actually made one for me. So <laughs> this is the day that I am wearing it. And in the midst of a culture that everything, you're hit with advertising all the time. Hey, buy this product and it will solve everything. And it comes out even in church, the way churches brand and market themselves and I know a lot of us have listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. We've even talked about it. Raise your hand if you've heard that. It just kind of gets at this, like, pushing your brand as, like, the best thing, but then it all crashes and falls. And, 
And Christ himself, he is the answer. But it takes all of this stuff to down in the trenches to get to that radical perspective, radical maturity, and radical hospitality. I think that's great. So I was reflecting on um, the scene uh, after Jesus is transfigured. Everyone sees him in his glory, his disciples. And they come down the mountainside, and they're all amped up. And immediately they start arguing, creating factions. Who's better? Who's going to sit at his right hand? And, it, and if you remember, this is in Luke 9. You can go read it. At about verse 51, Jesus sets his attention to Jerusalem to go and die and terribly disappoint his followers. And his followers, they look around and they say, these Samaritans, they're rejecting you. They're rejecting your way. Should we call down fire to destroy them? That, after they had seen the, resurrect, or the uh, transfigured Christ, and still the, the, they're, they're so deeply embedded in, in um, wanting to destroy their enemy, and Christ looks at them, and he, he disappoints them. He's like, no, don't, don't call down fire on them. We have a different way. It's going to take some time to get there. So... That's, this is how I've been stretching and and, um, in this series is to think about when is Jesus appropriately disappointing me and calling me to something different, something greater. So I invite you all to stand. Uh, we are going to wrap up our time with the Apostles' Creed. So this is a creed that's been spoken in many, many languages across the globe uh, from believers for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it just highlights the, the core tenets of our faith, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so let's, let's recite this together as we close. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.